You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yes, he can shave whichever part of his body he wants. Welcome to this week's Attacking Scrum podcast. Delighted to say uh, Steph Thomas is with us once again. Hi, Steph. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, good, thank you. Great to have you back on the show. And um, as always, having a, a well-read journalist like yourself makes my job a bit easier on nights like this where we have uh, big Welsh rugby politics stories to, to get stuck into. So we're going to be having a look at that um, in this episode of the show, of course, referring to the, uh, to the vote that uh, the results have been declared of today uh, with a view to the um, the independent chairman um, proposition that the uh, the WRU clubs have uh, voted on, so we're no doubt going to get stuck into that. No shortage of uh, no shortage of opinion on social media around that one. We will also have a look back at some of the uh, some of the URC action from this weekend, and we'll look forward to the uh, the start of the Autumn Internationals or the Autumn Nations Cup, as we're we're now calling it next weekend, as Wales take on New Zealand, but. I suppose, Steph, the only place to start really is uh, is with the rugby politics, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd say so. Um, so, yeah, as as your your listeners probably already know, so um, uh, it was WAGM today, um, and sixty five point six percent of the clubs uh, voted in favour of bringing in an independent chair. Now, in the vast majority of um, uh, sort of, um, you know, businesses that are, or, or you know, uh, organisations which are run democratically, that would be enough to, you know, that's a vast majority, isn't it? You know, you, you'd have thought that that would come through, but um, the constitution of the Welsh Rugby Union is very archaic. Uh, it's not really fit for purpose, um, I would argue. And they need 75% of the vote. So obviously the majority of clubs voted, but, um, you know, uh, the minority have voted against. Um, 
you know, uh, you could argue are, are holding back Welsh rugby. Obviously, the independent chair would have um, been somebody not elected by the club. So that would have then meant that, you know, Rob Butcher could, or whoever the chairman is, could concentrate more on the community game. And then you finally get, you appoint somebody who is fit for purpose to run um, uh, a £90 million business. Um, but, you know, the... They said, you know, I was going to use the terms to the term Turkey's voting for Christmas, yeah. but the majority of Turkeys did vote for Christmas. That's that's the point. Um, yeah. You know, a lot of clubs, maybe we don't give them enough credit. You know, a lot of people are really switched on and in the community game and they want to see the uh, and they understand that if you get the professional game right, then um, uh, the term I like to use is it would uh, shift cash back down onto the community game. But unfortunately, you've got um, a minority who are dinosaurs. Um, who uh, are all about self-preservation, all about self-interest, and um, you know, would before voting for serious issues, would think about how does this affect uh, my free ticket to Dublin and and whatnot. And you know, I I, I could name, you know, not go into, but I could give you about ten examples of that, uh, which are based on on fact. But um, you know, this was a good opportunity to really modernise the Welsh Rugby Union. It would have been a significant step forward in these trying times post-COVID. Um, but unfortunately, the, the minority voted against it. And um, I fear that this um, uh, this sort of, um, the result of this vote will, will be pretty damaging, really, for the, for the game in Wales, not just at a professional level, but uh, the community game as well. Yeah, and I think this is the, this is the thing, right, is... Yes, the two things need each other, but they need each other in very, very different ways. We're not living in the era where, you know, I know obviously every player has to start somewhere and yes, they may well be attached to a club, but really we're living in an era now where the vast majority of players are provided through academies. So yes, they, they yeah. may well go and play for uh, for their local club. That may be where they pick it up. And it is hugely important. Um, but we're not we're not referring back to the days where you would have someone, uh, I don't know, Kefili, for example, who and I've just plucked that out of thin air, um, who would then you know go on to play for Wales while still playing for them. You know that's not that's not the way that the international rugby works now. That's not the way that the professional rugby works. The community game is hugely important, and it is because you know it's as well as being an elite sport. This is a you know it's a hobby for many people. It's a centre of community, and that's you know that 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 very essence, the community game. It's a hugely important thing, but. To have uh, to have the say of, of as you said, you know, a, a near hundred million pound business decided by someone that that doesn't necessarily have the experience in that is still just baffling, and it it, it throws it back to the it throws it back to the to the amateur era. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think amateur is the um, is the key word, really, isn't it? I, th- I think, as you said, the, the community game is vitally important you know the rugby or any sport isn't isn't just about the professional game it's about you know people's social lives people's health people's enjoyment they you know most players don't join clubs to be professional players they just play in there for enjoyment and it's a center of of um of their communities in many ways however um there isn't that much of a link i'll get shot down Mm. for this but there really isn't that much of a link between community rugby and professional rugby. There isn't because these players get picked up at a very young age. The vast majority, in fact, all the development is really done at um, in the academies. You know, people shoot the academies down, but this is professional sport we're talking about now. All the fitness, all the um, S and C, all the skills. You know, getting ready for professional rugby. 
Um, and I think the school system is probably also very, um, maybe is the one area that's really underutilized when it comes to um, producing, um, you know, professional players of the future. Whereas, so the community game is very important, but in terms of its link to the professional game, it's very minimal, really, isn't it? Which means it's, you know, it makes it absolutely absurd that, you know, you've got um, the community game running, calling the shots. You know, you've got people on, I've said this on the podcast before, you know, in the professional rugby board, you've got people on there, you know, people like David Buttress, you know, founded Just Eat, one of the most successful entrepreneurs in Wales, if not the UK. You've got people like that. You had Amanda Blanc, chief executive of Aviva, and these people, um, hugely qualified, hugely respected, know how to make money, know how to run businesses, get the best out of businesses. You know, number of occasions there, their recommendations would get blocked by the main WIU board, which has a community club majority. Mm. Um, and that's that's wrong. You know, that's, you know, that, that, that is archaic. That's, that's immoral in many ways. And, um, you know, um, voting against the independent chair. Um, if you'd had an independent chair, that would have been a, a big step in the right direction. And as I said, you get the professional game right. There's more money for the community game. But unfortunately, um, you know, there are a lot of people in, in Wales who aren't... Um, aren't really switched on to that fact so um yeah i think it's a hugely damaging um decision by the minority and this is it in order to you know those those community clubs you're never going to have the and and again i can't stress this enough this is not this is not having a go at um individual clubs at all but the the opportunity for a community club to make you know to make enough money for it to sustain itself in the you know in these kind of trying times it's nigh on impossible. So they need the union to flourish financially. So it needs to be run like a business. So it needs to have more money that can then be, you know, uh, that the chunk for the community game can then be distributed into it. And But as you said, it's, they're, they're separate things. Yeah, they're but what gets me things. is that the majority of community clubs yeah. probably agree with you, as this vote yeah. Yeah, exactly. um, showed. So there's loads of great people in the community game. You know, they, they're vital. They're as important as the pro game. But it only, you know, it's the constitution, isn't it? You know, sixty-five percent is a, or you know, is a landslide. Mm. It, it is, isn't it? That 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 is an absolute landslide. Um, yet the fact that there's only a small percentage and it stops something going through. I mean, to have to meet seventy-five, but you're never going to get anything done. Here. Yeah. There's never going to be any change. Um, it's it's a disgrace, um, really, and. Um, I think they need to have a vote on the um, on the constitution because it it needs to change um, because the the game in Wales is in a very precarious position um, and you know success at international level is isn't going to prop it up for much longer um, if we get success so yeah I think um, we've said this before but uh, yeah Welsh rugby is in a pretty bad state and it's it's hard to see how we can improve in the near future. And you say, yeah, I mean, that's the interesting point is you say that there's a need for a vote on the constitution. Well, if there was, that vote is presumably, again, thrown out to, you know, it's thrown out to, to all of the clubs and would require a 75% majority. So in many yeah, respects, you could have like it's purely sem- academic. You could have like 73% voting in yeah. favour. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's ludicrous. It's, it's an embarrassment. Um, you know, but there are a lot of issues of the Welsh. There are a lot of areas of the Welsh Rugby Union which are 
rooted in the past. You know, you compare it to the FAW and, you know, mm. there, there was a time not so long ago where they were an absolute shambles of laughing stock, but they took note and they've the way they've modernised um, the game and their attitudes towards everything is so modern. You know, they're, they're in touch with young, the y- younger people, a young generation. But, you know, there really is like, you know, just just the Welsh Rugby Union in general, it, it really needs to modernise, not just in terms of this and the constitution, but in, in its general outlook of everything. Um, yeah, I, I think I think there needs to be, um, a, you know, a, a significant um, a significant improvement. And um, you know, it, it, you look at the governance of the game and the way, just the way it's governed. That you know, you you take this to any other. Um, sport or any other professional organisation, and you explain the way the Welsh Rugby Union or Welsh Rugby is run, and you just get people scratching their heads. Yeah. Like it, it's, it, it doesn't, you know, it, it, it's, it's just really disappointing. And uh, as I said, you know, uh, as it as it stands, um, you know, people like to shout at uh, journalists for being negative, but I only deal in facts and. Um, the fact is, it's it's very very difficult to see how uh, Welsh rugby can pull itself out of the current hole it finds itself in. Yeah, I, I mean, I suppose one thing I would say, Steph, and this is you know scant consolation really, is that that whole thing about self interest we've touched on this before. This is across the whole of uh, the whole of rugby as a whole. You know, I think that if you look back, whatever we've been kind of two and a half years since COVID plunged or accelerated. The, the finances of the game into into utter chaos we said a number of times this is an opportunity to reform the way the the professional game is is played you know whether it's global calendar whether it's too much rugby whatever it might be and two and a half years down the line you find you know two clubs in the English premiership have gone pop uh, the collective debt that there is there as well suggests that that there could be other clubs that that follow suit, or certainly will be fighting very hard to to make sure they don't follow suit. You know, this is not limited to um, to Welsh rugby, but that until you get past that self interest, there are going to be casualties, and there are going to be yeah, there, there is a real danger, and I, I don't think I'm being overly dramatic when I say this. There is a real danger that the the entire game runs out of money. When you look Absolutely. at the fact, that, when you look at the fact that. You know, attendances generally are dwindling. The international game is, you know, is struggling for to to fully capitalise on um, on where it should be. The club game across, you know, with the exception of France, perhaps, you know, kind of across the board is struggling to to drum up that interest. And you've got lawsuits looming around concussion uh, with a number of major unions and with World Rugby. And if compensation has to be paid to these. Uh, to these players, then there is a real a real chance that the whole game could go bankrupt. I don't th- I don't think I'm being overly dramatic by saying that. Well, absolutely not. I mean, it's in evidence at, at the moment, isn't it? You know, we look at the situation in England. You know, a lot of clubs have been living beyond their means. You know, two have you know gone into administration, and um, you know, it's going to be a long long road back for them if they ever get back. And just just the game in general as well. I mean, rugby union has. Um, you know, rug, rugby has an as a sport has a an overinflated ego. Mm. It thinks that it's bigger than what it is. But the fact of the matter is, rugby is a niche sport. It's hugely popular in some nations, New Zealand, South Africa, Wales. Um, 
although it's not as popular in Wales as people yeah. think. If you've got any uh, overseas listeners, uh, football is king here by far. But um, you know, rugby. You know, you look at the uh, look at Super Twelve as an example. Well, not Super Twelve, but Super Rugby. Isn't it? But you look at when it ha- was Super Twelve. That was on. A, that was better than Test Rugby. Mm. It was that good. You had the best of South Africa, best of New Zealand, best of Australia. Then suddenly they started to think to themselves, and this is why I'm against the North Walian region, right? Australians were like, oh, yeah, no, let's let's go, let's go into Perth, you know, right? let's let's go into uh, Western Australia where hardly anyone plays union. It's all Aussie rules and rugby league. Now that didn't work, you know. They they brought them in, and the Kings came in in South Africa, and they they just expanded too much. You know, if you want to expand, you have to do it very slowly. But they started expanding, and then you know you get you know get all these ideas about bringing American teams in and all that, and you know rugby takes takes these they make these big decisions. They see pound signs or dollar signs, and they take it without thinking about the long term consequences of things. Short term is good, then long term they don't realize that they could actually lose money. Because rugby has just been diluted as a as a product, it's not the sport it was. There's too many international fixtures. Um, they make a lot of money from Test rugby, but it's not. It's not. Look at look at the look at the uh, attendances. I'm got them. I'm got them in front of me now. But attendances were going down in autumn internationals for years. You know, even haven't sold out the All Black game yet. I was going to say. I, I was text, speaking to David Moffett. This morning, text message this morning, morning Moffett, saying um, tickets still available. Last week, um, the W chief, ex W chief executive, and I told him that, and he couldn't believe me. He's like, "Are you sure? Sure, you know." He said to me, even you know, when on Wales were absolutely abysmal, um, they say that game out. And I remember growing up, you know, that we, when Wales played Australia, so that mm. it was a special event. Uh, it's, it's not really anymore, um, and I, I just think it's. You know, there's been too much test rugby, um, and that, that's that's a big problem. Less is more, I think. I think there's more potential for growth long term in in the club game. Um, you know, but again, I mean, you know, the, the Heineken Cup, the old Heineken Cup, you know, that's been diluted. It made an absolute mess for the European Cup. It's it's not the competition it was. It's a, it's just a dog's dinner. It's not even that important anymore. Um, so I I just think you know that. There's a lot of short-term thinking in rugby, not long-term thinking. And, you know, you look at the... Inf- I don't blame the players whatsoever. No, I'm you, really sorry for the players. But you've got the whole situation with wages. They're far too high. Again, mm-hmm. I, not nothing against the players. feel really sorry for them. But England are doing the right thing at the moment. They have to aggressively cut down player wages. It has to happen in Wales as well. Yeah. It, it just has to happen, right? Um, and, and, you know, we, we've just been... Spending beyond our means, apart from the the top fourteen, obviously, and to lesser extent the, the Japanese um, the Japanese league. Um, so there's that, and then you know the the whole issue with concussion. You know, it really really annoys me. You know, I I, I seen a I won't name I won't name him. I saw an absolutely idiotic statement on Facebook yesterday by a former Welsh captain, right? And um. You know, it, it was, oh, you know, you know, the Brody Ritalik um, red card, which, yeah. you know, if you don't think that's a red card, then you, you have no knowledge of the of the laws of rugby union. Um, and, you know, he said, you know, the game's gone soft. Are oh, you destroying our great game? I was thinking to myself, actually, no, they're trying to save the great game of rugby union because they're not just trying to save the um, health, um, health of the players and their future lives after rugby because they're trying to save the game as well because... If I had a child, I'm going to children, 
I wouldn't want to play rugby because the evidence there's going to be more and more people coming out with neurological conditions, brain injuries, dementia, you know, all that sort of thing, um, which is going to greatly impact their life lives. And rugby says it's trying to um, solve it, but look look at the decisions in the URC. That ridiculous hit by a Munster player on um, I forget you know who 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 he tackled straight to the face a few weeks back that um, Glasgow player to the to, I think it was Jared Josh Adams, face Josh, Ad- Josh Adams, Josh Adams, Adams yeah. sorry, and then you know last week um, uh, you know that disgusting, absolute disgraceful decision um, by that referee in the Scarlet game when um, Tom Price's second row was drilled into the ground yeah. head first. The referee has brought the game to disrepute. He's going to know, you know, evidently he does not value the safety of his players highly and um, as much as he should. That's a clear red card. And, uh, you know, I, I just think any contact to the face, direct shoulder to the head, should be a red card. You know, I have no idea how um, the Scottish player, I forget who it was, sorry, yesterday in the Australia game, didn't, didn't have a red card. That was a, that was a bullshit um, explanation of Luke Pierce, I'm afraid. You know, it, bicep hit him so not a red card but if his shoulder had it would have been yeah, a red card it's nonsense um, so my point is I'm going off on tangent but rugby's got so many issues it's going to it's going to lose a lot of money over concussion it's going to lose a lot of future players and the game as a whole is an, at a real crossroads and I, I think people don't really realise that the future of the game is actually at stake over the mm. next few years and um, you know I'm, I'm not I'm not really that confident that um you know, rugby will be salvaged because um, I haven't really got confidence in the people running the game I on think, a global yeah. scale. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And a lot of those things are actually linked, I would argue, Steph. You know, if you if you made the game safer, um, then for a start, you would have more confidence in people playing it at a grassroots level with younger people playing it and increasing the participation levels, which, you know, which obviously helps, as we said, it can help feed academies or it can just help the interest in the overall game. Uh, you know, if someone's going to the rugby club, gets into the sport and ends up going to watch internationals and going to watch the club team, great, that's fantastic. Mm. The safety does part of that. Likewise, if you couple it with playing less games, so not so much, not even just diluting the product, but diluting the the uh, the physical burden that's required on the players, you need you'd need smaller squads because there'd be lesser there'd be would be less injuries. Um, you wouldn't be flogging these players to death, and as a result, you wouldn't be needing to to spend as much on squads collectively. And there is a chance that you might just find a sustainable financial model within rugby. But as you've said, it's just been it's just been kind of petrol on the fire every single time. It's right. More test rugby, more test rugby. Players are knackered. Um, quite rightly, they expect to be remunerated properly for that. You know, in a game that's really high risk, and they're expected to take their body to the limits. Um, well, they're put, they're putting their, their future well being at risk. Absolutely. Look at Steve Thompson, yeah. Alex Popper, Michael Lipman. You know, um, there are many more. Adam Hughes. You know, the Shantine Hartby. I mean, the stories. You know, they're these guys. You know, when you listen to the story. Stories of these guys, you know, like the Steve Thompson documentary the other week. You know, I've interviewed a few myself, and it's heartbreaking. And yeah, I, I as I said, I, I wouldn't um, be that confident, comfortable allowing my child if I had them um, no. to, to play rugby at the moment. And um, the game's under threat. Um, I think that's that, that much is clear. Yeah, I, I think you're uh, you're absolutely right. 
are there any anything Steph that you think you know whether it's long term or short term that the governance you know at a world level should be looking at what are the main priorities that that world rugby and whoever the power brokers are should be looking at I think I just listed a few off. I think concussion needs to be number one on the list. Player safety, um, for the reasons I just stated, um, for the players and you know, for the uh, you know to persuade future players to play the game. Uh, I think they need to look at um, a more um, sort of long-term vision for the international game. And um, there's just too much. There's too much test rugby. I think that needs to be. That needs to be sorted out. Obviously, I still want to grow the game, but you know, it's it's you need to do it slowly. You need to get people involved at an amateur level first in developing nations, rather than just sort of going all straight in and giving them professional status. So there's that. Um, there's just so many things. I think the laws need looking at in many aspects. Um, so there's there's a lot really, um, but the problem is I, I I'm just not really sure that um, the right people are running the game. I think there's a lot of self-interest, um, you know, and, and, and that's that's the issue. Um, the first thought that comes into anyone's mind is it's all about self-preservation. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's the biggest um, biggest issue I've got. Uh, and also, I'd like to th- say, like, going back to the concussion, you know, a lot of former internationals, you know, they say, oh, the game's gone soft, that's not a red card with relation to Brody Ritalik. They've got a responsibility as well, you know, because mm, people... They've got a platform, right? Yeah, listen to these people because they were great players and they need to educate themselves a little bit on the dangers of head injuries, you know. It's not... Um, I was talking to a doctor recently and he was saying it's not necessarily the huge concussions which knock you out. Obviously, they're hugely dangerous because with them, they're obvious. You know, you can... You know, you, you know they're knocked out. You take them off. It's the successive sub concussions. Mm. That was the term sub concussions from head knocks, from consistent head knocks. The ones that aren't obvious, but just over time. Um, so I, I that's that's my main, uh, you know, the the issue I I would like to sort of see solved. And I just think rugby. I said this in the podcast before as well on this podcast that rugby is stuck in. Um, it's it stuck between trying to appease uh, those dinosaurs who, you know, think the game's going soft and the player safety point of view. And I just, you know, I go back to the Scotland game. I think Luke Pearce is a tremendous referee. I think he's yeah. one of the best in the world. Could argue he's the best, but I just thought that was a bullshit explanation. And sorry, I forget what, what Scott's play was. You know, he clears it out direct to the head, coming from a distance, and he said. Because it was his bicep, it's a lower degree of danger, and it, it therefore it's a yellow card. Whereas the show would have been red. That, that, that's nonsense. That's nonsensical. We've, we've said we've they, said need, this they need to say anything to the yeah. head with force is a red card. End of discussion. There is too much mitigation, too many grey areas, and I think about yeah. eighteen months, two years ago, we had a position where, <clears throat> yeah, and although it would cause a stir on social media and whatever. 
we were kind of in that position. If yeah. there was contact to the head, it was gone. And if we'd have carried on on that uh, on that same route, by now that would have died down, and people would have just accepted it and Absolutely. would know by now. This mitigation bullshit has has created this this yeah this halfway house, and that is just you know that's not good enough when you're looking at when you're looking at protecting players' lives. And uh, yeah, you know, if it, if it makes old internationals disgruntled or you know or armchair fans or whatever, I think that first and foremost you've got to make sure that this game is safe for people to play and it will change it will change players and coaching habits if uh, if you stick with that hard line uh, that hard line um view it's it. respons- the responsibility with the players as well isn't it yeah you know like the players know and coaches they know that you can't hit somebody direct to the direct on the head so i know where rugby's played 100 miles an hour and mistakes mm. happen but with a retalic one, um, you know, he knew what he was doing. There's no point defending it. The guy is jackled. He's in a low position. He's yeah. come in from a distance at force and smashed him in the head. But he knows what he's doing. You know, it's not, oh, he's not a dirty player. Well, you know, whether he, is, whether he is or it isn't, is it an It's a, irrelevant. It, yeah, it is. It's and, a red um, card offence. And, you know, it's the same all the time. Oh, he's not a dirty player and stuff. Well, it's irrelevant. It's. He's done. He knows what he's doing. He's done that. You know, uh, it's, therefore it's a red card. And you know, it, there's so many instances. I, mean, I remember it was in the Sharks Ospreys game. Oh, sorry, the Stormers Ospreys game recently. Um, and I think it was Ethan Roots late on shoulder direct to the head, and nothing, not even mm. sighted. You know. D- d- I, I haven't got any words for it. I just think and, this and is the number think... one priority for me. And, you, and we'll finish on this just before we go to the break, but you think how often they're going to the sodding TMO for the most minimal of fractional forward <laughs> passes or, you know, know. A, a perhaps, a, you know, a perhaps a minor knock-on three phases before. Um, and, and that stuff kills the game from an entertainment point of view. Mm. TMO is there and their primary concern should be around, yes, the howling decisions. and You know, grounding, yeah, of course, that's fine. You've got to check these things. That's what it's always been there for. But f- serious foul play... Is the most important reason why it's there. You know, if yeah. if our side, you know, if Wales lose, if Wales lose to New Zealand because of a forward pass, right? Okay, that's bad. But that stuff has always been in the game. Mm. If a player gets hit to the head um, and nothing is done about it, then then that's a that's a completely different um, a completely different scenario. And I'm just yeah, I, you know, there's one of these every week. One of those every single week. You you will be able to come on here and go right. That was a disgrace. That should have been a red card. Why wasn't it? And uh, and I'm afraid it's just been allowed to happen for for um, yeah for the last six twelve months, and it's uh, it's not good enough. No, I absolutely agree. But, um, I think I've said enough on this subject. So uh... right, well, we better we better talk about some rugby at some point, Steph, as well. And we're going to do that in the second half of the show. But first, we're going to take a very quick break. Right, time then, Steph, to talk about some uh, on-the-field action. I really wanted this episode of the show to be called 47 Reasons Why the Dragons Are Going to Win the League, such is the uh, the good mood that I was in. Um, you can always rely on Welsh politic, Welsh rugby politics to throw a curveball in and scupper that. Um, but yeah, we're going to have a quick round-up of, uh, of the URC action now. Uh, I'm going to start with the Dragons because obviously it, it pleased me. Um, I said with Murph last week, you know there was there was always the, if ever a side was capable of losing at home to the uh, home to zebra it was the dragons 
they didn't do that. I thought they looked very convincing. Um, I don't think you can read too much into this result because Zebra, are, you know, are not a particularly strong opposition, particularly particularly away from home. But there was quite a lot I thought to be pleased about. The general skills looked a lot better, and the hunger seemed to be there from from this Dragons outfit from you know from minute one to eighty. Yeah, well, they look like a happy camp, don't they? I think mm. Dai Flanagan's doing an excellent job. Um, perhaps as a honeymoon period, I don't know. We'll see over time, but you know, we know that they haven't got a squad that can uh, compete to in silver, maybe even make the playoffs. But as we've said, they've got enough good players. It's the strongest squad they've had for a long time to to be competitive, and that's that's what they are. And um, it was more. It wasn't just the fact they won, because obviously mm. Zebra are banana skin. Um, but they put them away. They put them to yeah. the sword. They played. They looked very confident. You know, they're offloading game and just just. Every player knows his role. Every player believes that he's a good player. You know, he wants to play for the coach. It's obviously a very good environment. I think Di Flanagan's a great bloke. I think he's a tremendous individual. Um, and it's really good to see a young Welsh coach because, mm. you know, there hasn't been uh, enough for them given an opportunity and really thrive. They're going to lose games. They're going to have a few hidings probably if they come up against Leinster and they've had injury crisis and all that sort of thing. But, you know, he is getting the best out of the squad he's got. You know, they should have beaten the Sharks as well, which would have been a, a tremendous result. Um, they weren't that far away from Cardiff. You know, they beat the Ospreys, uh, deservedly so. Um, I, I think they're a team that's uh, that's on the up. I mean, there is a, a limit to how well they can do because of funding and uh, and the way the game is governed in this country. But I, I just think Flanagan is doing a, a fantastic job and it's... Um, you know, it, it's a very happy camp at the moment. Yeah, you mentioned it being a happy camp. You also mentioned players believing that they're a good player. And I think there's arguably no bigger confidence player in that side than Sam Davis. And, yeah. you know, he was... And I said I, I felt sorry for him for huge chunks of the last two seasons because he was the only 10 at the club mm. and, you know, was basically forced to play 80 minutes of every single game. And I, and I think so much of that affected his confidence. Stuff like his goal kicking, he'd always been a very reliable goal kicker. And two seasons went past and he was became very, very shaky. He looked looked really assured of himself. And I think that... That again is to his testament to what uh, to what Di Flanagan is doing. That you know he's getting the best out of players who you know who were looking a bit shot in the in the past couple of seasons. Really, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Sam's a good example. I mean, he he's a good player. Um, you know, he he turned down uh, opportunities to go and play in England and France um, to chase his dream of a Welsh cap. Um, that hasn't happened, but you know he's done well for Dragons. But I think his form dipped because. You know, he, he was in a, you know, it wasn't a great environment under Dean Ryan. And obviously, he was carrying the team effectively. Yeah. Um, there was no one else. You know, obviously, um, Reed came through, but he's, you know, he's still learning the game. Um, JJ Hanran's been a, an astute signing. He's no world beater. He's not going to set the world alight, but in a similar way to, in a similar fashion to Stephen Myler at the Ospreys, you know, he's an experienced player, does the basics well. And it's taken um, pressure off Sam. Hasn't it? It's not really competition. It's it's, it's just sharing the load, and I I think that's a smart acquisition. But look, I think I think Flanagan told me um, that he'd learned a lot from Brad Moore mm. in an interview a few months back. Um, Brad used to say um, when he was at the Scarlets on the Crusaders, apparently treat every day like you're in Disneyland. Mm. Um, and I think he, I think Di is a sort of coach that 
focuses on a player's strength. He doesn't try. He doesn't. There are players who are are never going to be good at a certain aspect of the game, but Flanagan, you know, gives them confidence and that they play to their strengths. I, I just think they said the same when he was at the Scarlets. He's a tremendous man manager. Maybe he's not the greatest technical coach in the world, although he is a good coach. But what stands out is his man management and how he gets the best out of individuals. And I think that's, um, I, I, I think it's, uh, you know, David Buttress deserves credit as well. I think uh, he sported, um, you know, a young coach, not a big name, gave him an opportunity, did his due diligence. And, um, you know, um, he's, he's doing a good job. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's good to see at the moment because the Dragons have been the whipping boys for so long. It's, uh, you know, I, I, my other fans are turning, we used to turn out week in, week out, um, see them, you know, lose at home to like Zebra and have 50 points put on them. But um, finally, they're a competitive outfit. They're not going to win every game, but if you beat them at Rodney Parade, you're going to have to do the hard way and that's the way it should be. Yeah, no, look, yeah, everyone, everyone knows my thoughts on that. I'm very much, uh, very much agreed with you. I think the the interesting thing as well is, you know, obviously you've mentioned their funding, but the the squad looks as you know a lot stronger than it has for uh, for over a decade, I would say. And I know that you're only ever a few injuries away from it, that becoming a problem. But players like Max Clark and, and Lonsdale, I think, have been you know, have slotted in really, really nicely. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it didn't look like a squad that was shorn of its internationals. Whereas last season, we yeah. needed Will Rollins in that side yeah. to, to even be competitive in a game. I, I think, like, Lonsdale and Knott might be, and Max Clark, below international level. But they're, you know, they're, they're sort of, they could play international rugby, but they're never going to be frontline international players. So when the internationals are away, that's a high that's a high quality sort of player to have mm. in your in your international window squad and they haven't had that before in the past has been it's a more balanced squad isn't it if you Absolutely. in contrast to the Scarlets for example which is a really badly balanced squad um, you know they, they've we'll get on to that later but they, they, they've got um, you know in the past there was a big when you lost your frontline player there was a huge dip between first choice and second choice No. There isn't. There's hardly, you know, there's a couple of percent off, for example. Um, and they've got some really good young talent coming through as well. So, as I said, you know, they're not going to be beating Leinster. Yeah, they're not, they're not going to be winning silverware, but at the very least, they can be competitive and take scalps. And uh, I think most Stragos fans would uh, would take that after, you know, 10 to 15 years in the doldrums. Yeah, and as you said, I think particularly at Rodney Parade, it makes a big difference. And to yeah to have won three from four at home and really should have put the sharks away i think yeah. and you know that that will be looked at as a as a missed opportunity so yeah de- definitely some some encouraging signs uh, at home there um i want to talk about the ospreys next because that was uh you know th- their problem seems to have been an inability to put sides away i would say they they, yeah, they seem to have this habit this season of not being able, you know, of, of kind of having won the physical battle but not being able to put sides to the sword. What do you put that down to, Steph? Um, it's difficult. Coaching has to come into it. There's no point getting away from that. Um, I think Toby Booth has been a good appointment. I think he's created a very good culture. I think he's an outstanding forwards coach. Um, 
but you know he said himself you know the last season they had enough wins to make the playoffs just not enough uh, winning bonus points um perhaps this is slightly unfair but as a forwards coach they're probably only going to play one way um you know they got Richard Fussell as a backs coach but at the moment, when you look at the Ospreys, the strongest back line, you see well, Webb and Anscombe half-backs, maybe Owen Watkin and George North centres, uh, Michael Collins full-back, or Prothro, I was saw Max Nagy's doing really well, and obviously got Cuthbert and uh, an on-fire Keelan Giles, and Luke Morgan ain't bad either. That, that's a very good back line. That's one of the best back lines on paper in the URC. So why aren't they getting the best out of that back division? is a big question to ask. Um, um, you know, the, the Scarlet against Slammed is, is the worst Welsh region, but ultimately they've won as many games as the Ospreys. Um, the Ospreys are probably a better team than Scarlet. You know, the, the games have been tighter. Um, they haven't been blown away like the Scarlet. They are a better team. But, um, you know, they, they've made progress in, in certain aspects of the performances, but ultimately what, what matters is the uh, your results. Um, and on paper, they should be beating the Dragons. Um for example, um, obviously, you know, they, they, they did well to, to get that draw against the Stormers. Um, and they they got a pack they can compete with anyone, including a lot of South African teams. But, and on paper, they got the backs, but there is something missing. And um, it's hard to put your finger on it, but the coaches have got to find a way to fix that because at the moment, results aren't, um, aren't good enough. Because I've said before, on, on paper, they, they got a squad that should be looking to make the playoffs. If Cole not make the playoffs ahead of the Ospreys, it's simply not good enough. Mm. Um, and there is something missing there, certainly. Um, yeah, I, I wonder it's not if good you're enough at the moment. You're right. I mean, you look at the, the the first fifteen or the first twenty-three is brilliant, and and I would argue the squad depth in the pack is good. I think it's just certain key positions. I think that when you take Webb out at nine, I, you know, you're then relying on a you know on a young. Um, <laughs> Yeah, a kind of young halfback combo. Well, Ruben Morgan Williams played well. He uh, played very well. Yeah, he did. You know, really great, well. he wasn't great. The issue. No, he wasn't the issue. But I think that having that experience in the side can make a big difference. You know, in terms Absolutely. of closing, in terms of closing games out, it's not about when, individual when you, performance. When you play, you know, you look at Stephen Muller. You say that, and he's he's got huge experience. Mm. We're not playing any rugby with him there. No, you know, point beating on the bush. He does, he, he, you know, he's a, he's a great goal kicker. He's got great control, great tactician, but there's zero attacking threat. He's not going to get his backs going. He hasn't no. got the peripheral vision to do that. You know, he's not Gareth Anscombe, is he? He's not. You know, he's not damn bigger. Even. Um, he's good at what he does, but you know, I was a bit disappointed they let Josh Thomas go to Newcastle. Mm. I thought he was a really good prospect. Um, Jack Walsh, I think, is is I a good one. I think he's been impressive. But, but the, yeah, but the, the little parts of his game that aren't quite right, like he missed that uh, penalty mm-hmm. um, against the Lions, which he should have had. Um, he does the hard things well and the easy things not as well. Mm. But I think he's got huge potential. But the the Ospreys have got the um, the cattle behind the scrum, but you know it's just not coming together at the moment and the. Perhaps that's a tactical thing. I don't know, but um, there is there is something missing, and it's hard to put your finger on it. It is, yeah. We'll um, keep a, an eye on that as the season progresses. Uh, Scarlet's next, Steph. Pretty grim, uh, pretty grim outing for them again, as you probably could have predicted against Leinster. You know, with when they're kind of shorn of their internationals. Did have this question in from David Collis, which says, "Do you think that Peel's going to last the season?" <coughs> 
Uh, I think you have to be very naive to think that Dwayne Peel is the is the biggest issue at that club. Uh, I don't think he's an issue. I think he's. I would stick with Dwayne Peel. Um, I think he's inherited, and I'm not saying that he's naive. By the way, I'm just making a point. But he's inherited the squad. Um, I think the Scarlets have been in decline since um, since Wayne Pivak's final season. Um, you know, Brad Moore came in. You know, a lot of Scarlet fans want him back. I don't think he's the answer. I think he's a good coach, but I don't think he's the answer at the moment. And I think that was damaging him going back to New Zealand because he's go with the globe for Pivak's successor, and he's gone within you know within half an hour basically. Um, you know, Delaney didn't work. Um, Peel is a will be there for the long run, I think. But if you look at his backroom team, um, there's no experience there. There's no mm. there's no top end experience in in comparison to other um, other clubs, other top clubs. If you compare them to Leinster's backroom team, for example, because people look at the head coach, but they don't look at the whole coaching situation. Um, I think the squad is very unbalanced. It's really unbalanced. You know, they they've got international players who aren't playing as well as they should. Um, and, you know, they, there's been mistakes in terms of recruitment, I think, as well. I think that much is obvious. And I think that just... just I, I just think that Dwayne has been set up to fail at the moment. I think he's got huge potential as a coach. Um, and this comes from me speaking to players who have been coached by him and other coaches. He's actually hugely respected. I think it would be a big mistake to get rid of Dwayne Peel. I think the Scarlets need a, a very um, experienced, um, perhaps, director of rugby. Yeah. I think that's what's needed to guide Peel. That's what should have happened from the start. Um, he's just been, you know, they, they, they look at Glenn Delay in his last season. Right? They lost at home, what was it, 50 or points of sale with a team stacked full of internationals. At least Dwayne's got the excuse of, you know, he's got. Um, a huge injury list, for example. Yeah, um, both he the can't second row suspended players. as well. Yeah. No, no Welsh team can sign players at the moment. It's, it's just ridiculous. Like, you can't even plan, you know. And you know, Delaney lost um, games like that. Um, Brad Moore did as well. There was mm. one embarrassing defeat up in Edinburgh. You know, there was bad defeats there. People forget last season with Pivac was really bad. So this has been a gradual decline for a long time. So to get a head coach who is pretty inexperienced, albeit with a lot of potential, come in and then you say to him, oh, you sort all this out in a short space of time. He hasn't had one recruitment cycle yet because the majority of the squad are in long-term contracts and will be out of contract at the end of this season. Um, and he'll have, you know, well, I wouldn't say he's going to have a chance to to shape his squad, but at the moment he can't sign any players. If he ever so gets a budget, yeah. That, that's a problem. Um, but he, theoretically, he should. Um but I just think it was it's really unfair to expect one man to solve everything. I think the club have got to look at some of the decisions that have been made over the last few years. I think they got some decisions wrong in terms of coaching, and that's not Peel I'm on about. It's other coaches in terms of recruitment um, and retention, in my opinion. I think they, they've let some players go that they, they perhaps shouldn't have. Um, all subjective, of course, and you know they haven't got a crystal ball. I realise that. Hindsight's a wonderful thing, but I, I think it would have been great if Dwayne could have a, an experienced director of rugby or an experienced assistant coach to help guide him. And I just think they just need to write this season off and hopefully recruit really aggressively next season. Wield the axe. A lot of players need to go. A lot of experienced internationals need to go. There's no point, 
you know, beating around the bush. Um, some players are just not playing as well as they should. Um, and it's very disappointing, you know, the, the way some senior internationals, um, you know, they did well in the first half out in Cornut and then they just imploded in the second half. You know, Dwayne's got a squad with only one top-class second row. Five for feet as a blindside flanker. He's only got one top-class second row. They haven't replaced Jake Ball and he's been gone for two years. Um, so, you know, the, the, there's a lot of issues there, but I think that he needs to wield the axe. I think he needs to be ruthless. And I mean that absolutely ruthless in the summer. And I think he needs to be back to bring in the players he wants to bring in. Um, I think they need to be ambitious. So um, I, I just think mistakes have been made. But I think those who believe that Peel is the problem and it's, you know, it's coming from an informed point of view, those who believe that Peel in the, is the problem are wrong. He's not the problem. Um, there are problems at the club, but he's not one of them. He's part of the solution. So I, I, I just think he needs to be judged in the long run, not the short, not the short term. Yeah, it's uh, it's really interesting, but obviously things are um, things are not in a not in a good position around there. I think uh, yeah, some really interesting points there. I suppose the only thing you would say with regards to not just Peel, but any head coach when you go through that that losing that losing spell, and I'm not saying that he is the problem, but there is going to be there is going to be a degree of scrutiny, isn't it? I don't think he's going to be afforded that luxury of if we're going to write this season off, I think he's, you know, it's, um, he will, he'll have to find a way with those, with those players to, you know, to, to grind out some results that just, uh, that just buy him that time. And, and a, yeah. And a, and a, well, I say a summer of recruitment, as you and I know, recruitment isn't done in the summer. It's done now. And the teams don't know what their well, budgets exactly. are. Um, yeah. But yeah, in the in the short term, it's been uh, yeah, it's been a grisly a grisly start to the season. Um, just before we go on to talk about the internationals, um, Cardiff uh, would have been hoping to continue their winning run. They weren't able to to beat Edinburgh today. What have you made of uh, of their season as a as a whole, Steph? It's been topsy turvy, isn't it? Um, you know, I, I thought the best performance of a Welsh club this season was against the Stormers uh, last weekend. Uh, Reese Priestland was magnificent in that game and should wear the Welsh number 10 shirt against New Zealand, as far as I'm concerned. Um, you know, they, they obviously came up against a good Edinburgh team. I think Edinburgh are a really underrated team. I think they're hugely, you know, hugely underrated, very well coached team. All has got a strong pack. Number now play a really good brand of rugby as well. And I think, you know, they, they were without their internationals. It was a step too far. You know, as I've said, you know, there's still a lot of holes in the squad. Um, you know, tighter prop hooker, second row. Um, I think Dai is working with. Um, Jan really got the cattle. I don't think. Uh, I think he's a he's a really good coach. Mm. Um, I think he's doing as well as he can. Really, uh, the Stormers game was an example of excellent coaching, excellent organisational um, skills as well. But um, obviously, there was the issue with the the egg gate and the pub. So there's probably has been some cultural issues, but I think that's probably galvanised them a bit. But again, um, he he know the problem is when when you add um, COVID, and I'm not saying this was the right thing to do, but because players took pay cuts, they obviously had an extra yeah. year put onto their contracts. So die, you know, it's not it's not like fans need to understand the um, ecosystem that these clubs operate in. In football, you have a transfer window. You know, you, you know, there's loads of money, so a new manager can come in and change a squad in, in a matter of months but in rugby it could take up to three years you know no recruitment is better than bad recruitment and uh, 
in the I would question their recruitment um, down the years, but Dai hasn't been given a recruitment cycle really. I mean, he's brought in a couple of players, yes, in the summer, but there's a lot of players in that squad who probably do. You know, I think he needs to be a bit ruthless like Dwayne as well. So um, I think you know this summer could you know I th- I, th- I think Dai needs needs to be given a couple of seasons, but uh, I, I, if the, if he gets a playing budget. Um, big effort, obviously. I think he's you'd be able to um, to really strengthen the squad next season and to shape it in the in the way he wants it shaped. Because he said, I've asked him on a number of occasions in press conferences about the lead, lack of leadership, and he's been in total agreement. Mm. There's a lack of leadership at the club on and off the field. Um, I think if more people were uh, were like Josh Turnbull, you know, they'd be winning more games, wouldn't they? Um, and that's not to say that you know some players just are natural leaders. I think that's something that they need to need to solve, and uh, I'm pretty confident that um, Dai will solve it. But obviously, he needs a playing budget to to do that, which he yeah. hasn't got yet. No, exactly. Yeah, we'll we'll all wait with bated breath to see if uh, if that happens uh, this side of April. Um, yeah, lots to. Uh, yeah, lots that all ties it back to that uh, to that sorry political state. Um, let's take a look ahead, though, Steph, to the start of. Well, I say <laughs> the start. The uh, the autumn internationals got underway yesterday. Uh, really, I suppose on this um, yeah. in the in the UK, kind of a bit of again, just one of these weird uh, rugby scheduling nuances that just detracts away from from trying to create a spectacle around it, doesn't it? The fact that you've kind of got these these staggered starts. I think it's... I understand there are schedule issues, but it's just a bit weird having Scotland start and none of the other none of the other um, home nations, if you like, um, take it, taking place on the same thing. It just makes... You know, yeah. putting a marketing hat on for a minute, it just makes those things a bit harder and it just becomes more fragmented. Again, you try and explain it to, to someone who's not a rugby fan yeah. and, and it's, 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 it's uh, not an easy thing to do. Uh but that said, Wales get their campaign underway next week against, you know, I suppose the the most stuttering New Zealand side in my lifetime. Um, what chance do you give Wales of, of kind of breaking that breaking that hoodoo of <coughs> many, many, many decades without a win against New Zealand? I think they've got a chance. Um, they've got a better chance than in recent years, but I still think New Zealand are heavy favourites. Mm-hmm. Um, I think New Zealand have... It's a very odd season, really, because you would class it as a failure, but they still won the Rugby Championship in the Blazers mm. Cup. They still won a test in South Africa against the world champions. Um, and I think, you know, they, there's been flashes of brilliance. There's still a team that can put teams to the sword. Um, you know, they, they still got all the skills. They're still a very ruthless team. They've still got great individual players. But what they don't have, there is a soft underbelly up front, which there wasn't in the, in the same... 2011 World Cup, 2015 yeah. World Cup, in the sort of McCall Carter era, people under even though they played pretty rugby, it was good in the eye. They still could play dirty. They they, they had great fundamentals. They had, they had a great platform, um, but their pack isn't as bad as that. But they're not as good as England up front, Ireland up front, France up front, South Africa up front. So when they get ahead of steam, they can still beat sides by 40 or 50 points. Um, but I think the chance Wales have got is. When when Wales played out in South Africa, they didn't play much rugby. They drew them into an arm wrestle. They went back to war and ball, and you know they should have won the first test. They won the second, mm. competitive in the third, but stepped too far. If they can do that in Cardiff, if they can get under New Zealand skin, they got to start well, and then they don't start well, do they? Because um, you know they they just never have historically. Mm. 
and obviously a lot of them are coming from the regions and the, the you know things aren't great there. So it takes a bit of time to get up to speed of test rugby. I think Wales are going to frustrate them. I think they've got to make sure that New Zealand don't start well. And I think if you get to like 50 minutes and it's tight, Wales have got a chance. But my worry is that, you know, the, the Welsh defence isn't as strong as it was. And if New Zealand get up ahead of steam, they still only need two or three chances to score tries. Whereas Wales will butcher if you know Wales will have five chances and mm. probably score one of them. Whereas New Zealand have five and score four, if not five. But Wales do have the ability, I think, to get under their skin up front. New Zealand Jason Ryan has really improved New Zealand up front, mind you know, Ethan De Groot, one of the best scrummaging losers in the world. So they've improved up front. But if Wales can drag them into an arm wrestle, if they can drag the game down to their level, like they did to spring to the spring box, you know. I think it'd be a mistake not to select Tommy Raffle, if I'm being honest. Mm. Um, I was a bit surprised by Tipperick as captain. He's a good captain, but I'm not sure he's gone. Well, obviously, well, he is now, size, yeah. he's guaranteed mm. his place, but I, I, I think there's an argument that Raffle should be starting. Maybe he'll play six. I'm not sure. Um, but I, I think that Wales do have the forwards to cause New Zealand problems, but I just don't think, you know, they're not as strong as France, Ireland, or England up front of South Africa. But they're strong enough to cause problems, but maybe not strong enough to really, um, really win this game. I think losing Dan Bigger leaves a big leadership void. But I do think having Reese Priest in a ten or Gareth Anscombe at ten, um, you know, make Wales a lot more dangerous offensively. The best performance by Welsh ten this season isn't from Dan Bigger or Anscombe. He's Priestland against the Stormers the other week, um, and given Anscombe. Hasn't played much recently. I I, I think Reese Priestland's got to start, in my it's, opinion. I, I think he should start. So yeah, I think it's, that a, it's in, a massive call. That could one, be Steph. a blessing in disguise. It, and in my opinion. you know, um, if you'd have said that two weeks ago, I I would have said you were mad. And to be honest, when I saw the squad announced, I thought I. But he's you been know, playing full back, though, isn't he? He has. That's he's the been, problem. He's been playing full back. He, yeah, he's undoubtedly a ten over a full back, particularly at this stage in his career. Um, but that was the first, you know, and he and he had played. I think he played another game at ten um, for Cardiff this season. There, there had been nothing to suggest that there was the the Priestland of old, and then he suddenly rolled this this performance out against the Stormers, which was like watching Priestland circa twenty eleven. Yeah, and, but it's um, the era of the like um, golden oldies, isn't it? Bernard Foley was mm. uh, standing for the Wallabies. You know, Quay Cooper came back before he was injured. He was great. You know, Priestland's back. Um, yeah, I, I, I'd start him. I, I would start him and I'd ask him on the bench. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you've said there, like, the concern for Anscombe is he's not played. He, again, he's hardly played any rugby going into this. And he had to, um, he started at 10 in this corresponding fixture last year, having not played much rugby either um, because it was outside the, it was outside the window and there was a, a, a bit of an injury, a bit of an injury crisis at 10 as well. And he was kind of, Strong armed into it. I mean, it's, that's pro- I think that's probably the biggest call that Pivac has to make um, for his yeah. uh, for his for his team next week. And also, yeah, I'd like to see Nicky Smith start as well. He's oh, been the form of Wales. How many times have we said this? Best, best scrummager. He's great over the ball. He's a good ball carrier. I, I mean, he's he's undoubtedly the best the best loose head in the country. Um, Ken Owens a hooker. No, I think he'll go. I think you know. I don't think there's a bigger Ryan Elias fan in. In Wales than Wayne Pivak, he you know he really really rates him and and again I think you've I think like he's you said, you've, good player. Yeah, Basically. I know you do. I I I'm and and I I respect that definitely. You know, you there's we've said it a million times, right? The 
the bit that you always look at with a hooker that stands out is the is the throwing in, and mm. that's a t you know that is a unit thing. It's not or it's not always the hooker's fault. I would say that that's the weakest part of his game. I think because it's not it's not yeah. exclusive to Wales. He's had some mm. you know some dodgy outings with the darts for for Scarlets mm. as well. He's very good when it comes when it comes to scrummaging. Um, yeah. I think that that and and I, I think that's what you've got to go with. Ken Owens doesn't play much rugby. I, I, you know, I, I've been so impressed with Bradley Roberts um, at, at the Dragons. However, I think for this game, as you said there, right, you are going to be up against formidable scrummaging unit here. Yeah. You've got to pick, you've got to pick your best scrummagers, and that is Nicky Smith, Ryan Elias, Tom Francis. Totally agree. Um, the other <clears throat> area of contention, if we can sit Tipperick nailed on, Falter's mm-hmm. nailed on. You don't start Arlen Wynn, you start Beard and Rollins. No, who plays six? Yeah. Does Raffle play six? Lidget was outstanding. He in South really Africa. was, yeah. And Chunza, you know, let's face it, is, is really in form and he gives Wales something different. So, what, what do they do at blindside? Uh, if it were me, and obviously everyone can thank the Lord that it's not, um, I would. I would gamble it on Chunza. I go, let's look to the future here. This guy is a real X Factor player. And um, he's another line out option. Uh, his athleticism is superb. I think he's a really intelligent, intelligent player as well. Um, and I think, you know, I think he is going to be a real star for Wales, um, which is a bit harsh on Lydia. But again, Lydia has been. Um, hasn't been. hasn't strung a huge amount of games together this season. Um, I've no doubt if they pick Lydia, they do a brilliant job. So It'd for be me, rare for let's six for me. Would it? Yeah, I. I think you got to win the break, don't back Yeah, you do. Uh, I think you need him to do that, and I think he, he's a, he's a, he's a, he's just a dog, isn't he? he? Just he's just so destructive in defence. But Lidiot obviously is the best defensive back rower in in Wales. But Ref has got that jacking threat, and he slows an opposition ball. So I I think he's got to be in a back row. Question for you, in Steph. my opinion. Is the reason why uh, the breakdown went so well in South Africa down to the balance of that back row as yes. well? And, and that's kind of, yes. it's a little bit old school, isn't it? It was a, it was an old school six, a Jacqueline seven, yeah. uh, you know, and, and Falatau being Falatau. What I what I would do, I, I would pick Lindyeth, Dreffel and Falatau and Tipperick yeah. on a bench, but Tipperick's captain. So, you know, obviously he, he's going to start. Uh, but I agree, I agree with you. So, you know, Warburton was... As effective as he was, he was a great player, but Lindy yeah. had helped him. <laughs> let's let's face it. Um, so yeah, I think our back back row battle is, you know, is is crucial. But I, I just would like to see Raffle in there. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I would like to see him there. And the rest of the side, do you think that kind of that kind of picks itself? Um, I think yeah. so. I think the centres are pretty settled, and I don't yeah. think the Tompkins Tompkins has been a constant. He yeah. rates him. On the score sheet again today as well, I think. Yeah, North 13. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, the back three, there's some issues there. You know, Josh Adams will be touch and go. Louis Rissam is one of the best players in the world, full stop. He's got to be there. Um, you talk about Will Jordan. He's a phenomenal player. Azam, it's in that league for me. Like, he's, he's just sensational, isn't he? So he's got to be there. If he was fit, Adams. Um, and... Um, you got to play half Ben, you know. I think you I do. Think. Yeah, I think you have to. But there's, you know, he's 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 a doubt as well. Um, it'd be a big gamble to pick Rio Dayo, wouldn't it, against the All Blacks? Yeah, I mean, you I, need you know, to I, ease him into Test rugby. I, I, th- I think you you definitely do. I love watching Rio play. He's, mm. he's brilliant. He's exciting. He plays rugby the way I love to see it played. But he's um, he's raw. 
He's re- you know he's he's mm. absolutely raw, and you know he's got the opportunity to grow. I would have loved, I would have absolutely loved to see Rio Dyer in a Gatland and Edwards squad. I think he would have learnt so much from, that. and that's that's no slight on the current side. I just think that what Gatland and Edwards did so well was with a limited amount of time with players, which is you know you get so little time with them at international rugby. I think he was able to they they were able to teach um, to teach players things and and get them to come away from those camps. Um, better players um yeah. but he's yeah i think you know he's going to be a you're right he's he's going to be eased in you know he'll be one for the um for the georgia and, and argentina games perhaps yeah yeah absolutely um but yeah i think it's a team that can cause new zealand problems but i'm not sure if it's a team that can beat new zealand so um, yeah but we'll find out next saturday yeah, and it, 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 I know it's um, it's something that's said a million times before, but that mentality thing, it just you know, if if the game's at sixteen all with five minutes to go, um, you do feel that that psychological thing of it being New Zealand in front of you would make it um, would make it a difficult task for um, for Wales. But yeah, let's uh, you know, it, it is always it is always um, exciting when uh, when the All Blacks come to town. Um, but you know, we'll uh, we'll see how that goes. Um, I'm just going to bother you for a prediction, then, Steph. What do you think? Uh, what do you think the result will be next week? Wales seventeen, New Zealand thirty. Oh, look, look at that! Not, not even just a, not even just a, a points difference. You've given me the exact score there. Yeah, I'm. I was. I was going to say maybe a fraction. No, I think you're probably about right. Yeah, I'm going to go. I'm going to go New Zealand by ten. I think. Well, um, um, but it's perhaps not as close as that. New Zealand by 10, but it never looks like Wales are going to win it. That's what I reckon. Yeah, yeah, I will go with that. There we go. Uh, look, Steph, been fantastic as always. Thanks uh, thanks very much for joining us uh, again this week. Uh, thank you to everyone for listening. And uh, as always, a thanks to our sponsors at So Coffee Trades. If you want to get some quality coffee, you can do that over at socoffeetrades.co.uk. Right, we'll be back to chat, uh, to chat rugby with you and to talk all things uh, Autumn Internationals next week. Thanks for listening. Podcast Network.